Sober Powered is sponsored by BetterHelp. I was a stress drinker, and I thought, if only I didn't have so much stress, I wouldn't have to drink this much. But do you know why I had all this stress? Because I didn't have the skills to take stressors off my plate, so they built up and wore me down. Some stressors are big and others are small, but carrying around 25 minor annoyances is going to have an impact on you. Plus, did you know that alcohol messes with our stress response system and decreases our ability to handle stress? It makes small things seem like a much bigger deal. Learning how to manage stress and take things off my plate has changed my life. I'm calm, I'm less reactive, and I believe that I can handle whatever comes my way. I feel proud of the way that I handle things now. You can get there too. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com sober to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash sober. Tossing and turning all night like a salad. It's time to put those sleepless nights to bed for good. Enter Tanasi, my sleep saviors, and they have science to back up their sleep, anxiety, and pain-relieving powers. Back in 2016, they invested a $2.5 million grant to Middle Tennessee State University to study the hemp plant. Turns out their special patent-pending CBD-CBDA formula is twice as effective as CBD alone and can be more effective than over-the-counter ibuprofen, acetaminophen, and aspirin. So if you're tired of tossing and turning like a rotisserie chicken, then Tanasi's got your back with their range of great products from tinctures to gummies to lotions. Tanasi is my go-to when I can't sleep or I have way too much anxiety. I'm so glad that I discovered them. So go to Tanasi.com and use the code POWER to get 25% off your order. That's Tanasi.com, T-A-N-A-S-I, to get 25% off your first order with the promo code POWER. Are you tired of your digestive system feeling like a circus act gone wrong? Introducing Ritual's 3-in-1 Gut Superhero Symbiotic Plus, a probiotic, prebiotic, and postbiotic all rolled into one. And with 25% off with the code POWER, there's no better time to check out Ritual. Let's break it down. Probiotics are like the cool kids at the gut party, keeping everything in check and making sure the good vibes are flowing. Prebiotics are their wingmen, fueling the party with all the right snacks to keep the good bacteria thriving. And postbiotics, well, they're like the cleanup crew, sweeping away the mess and leaving your gut feeling fresh and fabulous. So say goodbye to the gut drama and remember, there's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com power. I'm Jill, and this is the Sober Powered Podcast. I'll tell you how I finally stopped chasing the buzz and what I've learned along the way. Welcome back to the Sober Powered Podcast. I'm Jill, and if you're new here, I'm a sober scientist who talks about the science and psychology of addiction. If that sounds interesting, please subscribe. Today, I'm going to talk about the impact alcohol has on serotonin and our mental health. I'll explain what serotonin is, how it impacts the body, and what SSRIs do. I have a lot of studies to tell you guys about today. 
Serotonin is called the happy chemical, so I expected my research to just be about how alcohol decreases serotonin levels and promotes depression. Once I started researching, I found way more papers that described alcohol and serotonin in relation to aggressive behavior. There weren't nearly as many papers about depression. So I have a lot of interesting things to tell you guys about. Let's dig in. Serotonin is another neurotransmitter that's commonly called the happy chemical because it contributes to well-being and happiness. Remember, neurotransmitters are used to send messages between nerve cells. Serotonin is made from the amino acid tryptophan, which is found naturally in things like dairy, chicken, eggs, fish, and turkey. It's also a precursor of melatonin, so it plays a role in sleep quality. Serotonin is very important for maintaining mood balance, and low serotonin levels are linked to depression. It's unclear, though, whether low serotonin levels contribute to depression or if depression causes a decrease in serotonin. Serotonin influences many functions in the body, some of which are bowel function, nausea, blood clotting, and sexual function. So most of the body's serotonin is found in the GI tract where it regulates bowel function. It also plays a role in reducing our appetite while we're eating. If we eat something that's toxic or irritating, the gut will produce more serotonin to speed up the transit time and expel the irritant. It also stimulates the nausea center in the brain. So next time you're sick, remember that it's your serotonin trying to protect you from whatever you ate. Serotonin is also present in platelets and is released when there's a wound. It constricts the blood vessels, reducing blood flow to the area and helping blood clots form. So I also mentioned that serotonin has an influence on sexual function. So it appears to inhibit sexual activity. SSRIs boost serotonin levels, but a common side effect that occurs in people is some form of sexual dysfunction. Serotonin deficiency would cause things like low mood, poor memory, a craving for sweets or starches, difficulty sleeping, anxiety, aggression, and low self-esteem. For people with depression, SSRIs are one form of medical treatment. These medications are selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. When one neuron releases neurotransmitters to communicate with the next neuron, they hang around for a bit in between the nerve cells. Eventually, the neurotransmitters are recycled and taken back into the original neuron to be used again. This recycling process is done by transporter proteins. What SSRIs do is slow down the reuptake of serotonin by the original neuron. This means that serotonin is hanging around longer and so are its effects. SSRIs include medications like Celexa, Lexapro, Prozac, Paxil, and Zoloft. Another class of antidepressants are SNRIs, and these are serotonin and norepinephrine reuptake inhibitors. This medication will also allow norepinephrine to hang around longer, which is associated with energy and focus. SNRIs include medications like Effexor and Cymbalta, and another type of antidepressant is Welbutrin. So this medication slows down the reuptake of dopamine and norepinephrine. 
Some illicit drugs also act in this way. For example, cocaine is a strong dopamine reuptake inhibitor and ecstasy is a serotonin reuptake inhibitor. If you're prescribed an antidepressant, your doctor or pharmacist may tell you to avoid alcohol when taking this medication. Alcohol will increase the likelihood of you experiencing side effects from your antidepressant, and it can also make your depression worse and cause fatigue. Your antidepressant can worsen the negative side effects from alcohol, making you more impaired when you drink. Alterations of the levels of serotonin in the brain have also been linked to substance abuse. It's been proposed that there is a subset of problem drinkers who are particularly vulnerable to alcohol's effect on serotonin levels and that this may be the cause of alcohol-induced aggression. So we all have heard of people who are mean drunks, so serotonin could be part of the cause. Several studies in the late 90s and early 2000s found that a small subgroup of human, non-human primates, rats, and mice will engage in aggressive and violent behavior after drinking alcohol. The serotonin deficiency hypothesis, which was developed in the 80s and 90s, links low levels of serotonin for an increased propensity of violent behavior. A 2008 study found that treating alcoholic mice with Celexa, which is an SSRI, reduced alcohol-heightened aggression. Vulnerability for alcohol-induced aggression is thought to be a combination of genetic and environmental factors that determine alcohol's effect on the brain and on behavior. A 2010 study that was published in Genes, Brain, and Behavior looked at mice who were aggressive when they had alcohol and those who weren't. They found that for the aggressive mice, they had less serotonin expressed in their prefrontal cortex, which is involved in personality expression, decision-making, and moderating social behavior. So this could either reflect a side effect of drinking for certain mice or as a trait that makes them vulnerable to alcohol-induced aggression. In other words, it's not clear whether less serotonin in the prefrontal cortex is the cause or the effect. When we drink, alcohol increases serotonin levels initially, which is why we believe that alcohol makes us feel happy. Once the alcohol wears off, though, it's believed that there's a drop in serotonin levels below baseline, which could be the cause of the depression that many of us feel after drinking too much. An interesting study from 2006 published in Alcoholism, Clinical, and Experimental Research looked at 103 severe alcoholics who had a history of seizures and delirium tremens when they withdrew from alcohol and compared them to 216 control people. They found that the severe alcoholics were more likely to have one particular variant of a serotonin transporter than the control population. So this variant is shorter and has less activity, meaning that this variant has trouble transporting serotonin. Other studies have looked at this short variant and found that when it's present, the individual is more likely to suffer from anxiety, depression, and other mental health conditions. Another study that was published in 2006 in the Journal of Biological Psychiatry looked at teens with the short variant 
and compared them to teens with longer variants. So what they found is that having the short variant was a predictor of higher alcohol intake. So this means that if your serotonin transporters have less activity, then you may be prone to drinking more alcohol. It's also important to note here that unless you're a participant in some type of genetic study, it's basically impossible to know for certain what your genetics are. Sequencing the human genome is not a simple task. A study from 1998 found that higher amounts of serotonin transporters in the brainstem were associated with a reduced sensitivity to alcohol intoxication, which would make someone more vulnerable to developing a dependence. So if you don't get the negative side effects from being drunk as often as other people, it makes you more likely to drink more. So that's what that means. Other studies found lower amounts of serotonin transporters in alcoholics who were sober for at least three weeks. This correlated with depression and anxiety during withdrawal. We know that alcohol temporarily increases serotonin to make us believe that alcohol makes us happy, but remember, as we abuse alcohol, the brain will adjust its chemistry to balance out the effects of alcohol. What this means to me is that the number of serotonin transporters are reduced in an attempt to reduce the burst of happiness we feel when we drink. Studies in rats have found that when the serotonin transporter gene is deleted, the rats have more anxiety and deficits in social interaction. So serotonin transporters seem to be very important for our mood. Despite being legal and normalized, alcohol is a mind-altering substance, meaning that it can change the way the brain functions and perceives the world around it. Changes in brain function and perception can have a significant impact on self-esteem, and changes in self-esteem can increase the likelihood of developing a dependency on alcohol. As self-esteem continues to decline, it can turn into self-hatred. Self-hatred and substance abuse make it very easy to fall into the drink, hate yourself, drink cycle. We drink to numb our negative feelings, but then wake up the next day, or usually in the middle of the night, feeling even worse about ourselves. We then respond by drinking again. Low self-esteem and self-hatred means that we're willing to accept the bare minimum in life. We can believe that we deserve our pain, the way we drink, and the shame that comes after it. When someone gets stuck in this mindset, it's very hard for them to recover because they don't believe it's possible for their life to improve. It makes us feel like, why bother? I felt that way all the time when I was drinking. Why bother cleaning? Why bother wearing nice, clean clothes? Why bother eating healthy? Why bother with everything? I believed that I was a loser and a bad person, so I didn't deserve happiness or anything good in my life. About 40% of all patients seeking treatment for alcohol dependence report at least one suicide attempt. Studies have found that alcoholics are 60 to 120 times more likely to commit suicide than people who do not have any mental illness. 
Studies of completed suicides found that alcoholics account for somewhere between 20 to 40%. And the lifetime risk of suicide for someone who abuses alcohol is thought to be around 10 to 15%. So this is all really sad. 40% is a lot of people. I read one study that looked at 100 cases of completed suicides and they found that depression and or alcoholism were present in 85% of the suicides. I would be interested to know the percentage of people who had both depression and abused alcohol. I wasn't able to find this value though. So what the 85% means is that most of the people who committed suicide were depressed, an alcoholic, or both. Similarly, 20% of people diagnosed with an alcohol or substance use disorder also suffer from anxiety. So we go to drinking because we believe that it can make our anxiety or depression better, but it actually makes both of those things worse. In 2001, a scientist named Hufford was attempting to connect alcohol abuse with suicide and as a result, summarized four psychological pathways for the proposed relationship between acute alcohol use and suicidal behavior. So I'll tell you what those four are. One, increasing psychological distress, including hopelessness, loneliness, and depression. Two, enhancing or facilitating aggressive behavior, including self-aggression. Three, changing an individual's expectations and helping to propel suicidal ideation into action. And four, constricting attention and inhibiting effective coping strategies that would facilitate avoiding suicidal behavior. So what these four pathways mean to me is that alcohol makes us feel even worse about ourselves, and then eventually it makes us hate ourselves. And as we deal with that, it makes it much easier to think about suicide and to think about acting on those feelings. And because we are dealing with so much self-hatred and hopelessness and depression, it makes it really hard to get the help we need to avoid acting on our suicidal thoughts. So if you've listened to my last night of drinking episode, then you know this topic is very close to my heart. I've suffered from depression for 20 years, and my only experience with anxiety was in my last year of drinking when I developed severe alcohol-induced anxiety. Alcohol also worsened my depression. In the last year of my drinking, I became so depressed I could barely handle life. This evolved into suicidal thoughts, which eventually scared me into sobriety. I thought of all the famous people who have committed suicide while drinking, and it made me scared. I listened to The Cranberries a lot during that time, and the singer had planned to record zombie with another band. I think they're called Bad Wolves. And she committed suicide before they had a chance to record the music video. So the band recorded it on their own and dedicated it to her. And I used to watch that 
and cry. So eventually the thought that that could actually be something that could happen to me was scary enough that I will never drink again. So drinking not only makes us more depressed and increases our self-hatred, but it also makes us more willing to go through with things that we normally wouldn't do sober. Put those together and you have an extremely dangerous combination. If you're someone who's still drinking and suffering from extreme depression, anxiety, and suicidal thoughts, then I hope this episode was helpful for you to understand that alcohol has a huge impact on our mental health. It wants us to hate ourselves so we keep drinking. Once I quit, my mental health improved very quickly. I still struggle with depression because that was something I had pre-drinking, but now I'm able to actually manage it. You don't have to suffer. So please remember to review, subscribe, and share your favorite episodes, and I'll talk to you guys next week. I'm Madeline, and I'm the host of the Happiest Sober Podcast. I got sober in my 20s after a decade of gray area drinking, and the greatest plot twist of all time was realizing that alcohol, the thing that I thought made my life the most happy and fun and exciting, was actually the exact thing preventing me from living my happiest and best life. My mom is 40 years sober, and she joins me on my podcast very often. I like to call her my part-time co-host, and I also bring you solo episodes where I share my top tips, tricks, and mindset shifts in sobriety, and lots of how to's for navigating all the things sober from weddings to parties to holidays to bachelorette parties to trips i'm also joined by so many guests who come on and share their sober stories and they're all so so inspiring i'm here to show you that life doesn't end when you quit drinking in fact it's very much the opposite and no matter what your relationship was with alcohol life can be the absolute happiest when you're sober new episodes come out every tuesday you can listen to happiest sober podcast wherever you get your podcasts